Would you like to live a happier, healthier, and more fulfilled life? Cultures from all over our planet have been addressing that concern for thousands of years, and their answers can help you in your life today. Welcome to The Sweet Spot, where healing, spirituality, and culture meet. Join anthropologist and healer Robert Better as he introduces you to healing and spirituality in world cultures. Here's the host of your show, Robert Better. Welcome back, listeners. I'm here today for part two of my interview with Ken Cohen, who we found out all about in our last interview, uh, the aspect of his life connected with uh, Qigong, Tai Chi, internal martial arts, and uh, I, I should add a, a real scholar in all of the Chinese intellectual disciplines and, and arts, really. So Ken, welcome back for part two. Thank you, it's an honor to be here. And we left off in our last interview, we, we've kind of been going on a journey with you through your life and how how you came to these arts and how you came to the really profound understandings and ability to teach it. Now we left off with Dr. Wong in our last session, and I know there are other teachers that you've had along the way who really influenced you. So can we just pick up that journey with you at this time? Sure. You know, you know, as with any field, you even after you learn your discipline, you're always trying to improve, to learn, learn more, to perfect your, your skills. You wouldn't want to go to a surgeon who said, well, what I learned in medical school in the 1970s was good enough for me then, so it's good enough for me now. Why should I read the journals? Why should I find out new forms of anesthesia or new methods of doing this surgery? You wouldn't want to go to that kind of surgeon. Well, it's the same thing with uh, Qigong and Taiji and the Chinese arts. It, it's a never, never ending journey. No matter how many years you train, there's always more to learn. I'll give you an example of that. You know, my, my primary teachers were uh, William C.C. Chen in uh, Taiji Chen, B.P. Chan for uh, various internal arts, Qigong and Taoism. Dr. Wang, I was his apprentice in uh, Taoism. I was his only apprentice during his lifetime. Madame Gao Fu and, and a few others, but those are the main ones. Well, one time I'm with BP Chan and he had just finished teaching an advanced class in one of the internal martial arts. Uh, that is internal martial art means a martial art that you can practice for health. It has a strong self-healing and meditative component. And at the end of that class, who comes knocking on the door of the studio, but Master T.T. Liang. Liang was one of the greatest Taiji masters uh, to ever visit the United States, lived, lived here for many years. He was teaching until he was close to 100 years old. I think he died at age 102. So Liang was visiting New York City and uh, he was looking for my teacher, William C.C. Chen. But they were friends. William Chen wasn't there that day, but my other teacher, B.P. Chan, C-H-A-N, was teaching in William Chen's studio. So Chan, my teacher, my other teacher, was delighted to see the great senior master, invited him in, shook hands with him, introduced us, uh, the, his small group of students who were there, to Master Liang. And then our teacher, Chan says to Liang, Liang Washer, Master Liang, 
would you give me a basic lesson in Taiji? Even one movement, just one movement. I, I don't want to miss this opportunity to improve, to continue learning. I'd like to take advantage of your great wisdom and insight. And the young says, oh, Wopugan, I dare not. You're, you're the teacher here. I, I don't have anything much to teach you. He says, no, Chan insisted. And then Chan sees the look on his students' faces and he scolds us. He says, what's wrong with you? You should be begging for even the tiniest pearl of wisdom from this great master. You think I'm so proud because I'm your teacher that I'm not going to ask Master Liang to teach me? Let's have him teach us one movement, the opening movement of Taiji, something most of us had done for some of us for more than 10 years. What a great lesson that was, that no matter how far you are along the journey, you're always willing to look back at the basics and there's always something more to learn, even in the most basic, basic movement. Look, give me, let me give you an analogy. Let's say you've been a singer, an opera singer, uh, for years and years, and you've had a chance to sing with the, I don't know, with the Metropolitan Opera. But you have the opportunity to go over a basic aria that you've, you know very well with Pavarotti while he was alive, or with Placido Domingo, who's still around. Wouldn't you take advantage of that? Wouldn't you want to learn even how to sing a few notes more perfectly? This is the lifelong journey of Taiji and Qigong. It is a lifelong cultivation. I like to give the example of a garden, a garden in the springtime. So if you've got a garden and you're planting vegetables and flowers and so forth, and you know that during the course of the growing season, it's going to require X amount of water. Let's say, I'm just going to pull a figure out of my head. Let's say 500 gallons of water during the following four or five months. And it's going to require a certain amount of sunlight. Would you then hire some huge water trucks to dump all the water at once at the beginning of the growing season and bring in some strong ultraviolet lamps to shine all of that light on the first day? Of course not. You, you'd completely drown out the roots and you'd burn the branches. You water your garden, you water your energy garden a little bit every day. We do this throughout our lives and then we harvest the fruit of good health, of longevity, and hopefully of wisdom as well. So it, it truly is a lifelong process. And someone who says they know, they've reached the end point of their studies, they've missed the boat entirely. They, they become a boring, uninteresting individual because someone who's not interested is uninteresting. So, you know, that's my, my comment about, uh, you know, continuing this journey and learning. There's no, there's no end in sight. Uh, are there limits to human potential? Uh, I suppose so. I suppose so. But that's, that's a hard thing to define because our abilities and talents change over time. And as we get older, we, we sense more the interconnections in different disciplines, different fields of knowledge. 
uh, I find that today, you know, nearing nearing age 70, that I don't recover from injuries quite as quickly, yet my speed in punching seems to be better, better than ever. My reflexes seem to be better than ever. Coordination, basic skills. My Taiji seems better than it's ever been. I don't think I've reached my plateau. Why is that? Because, and here's, I think, you know, as I think about this, well, the, the, the tremendous emphasis on longevity in Taoism, my view of that today is that all those things that I've been doing all my life, the, the Taiji, the Qigong, the martial arts, the meditation, I'm realizing the fruit of that energy garden more now than at any time in the past. So the effects are cumulative. You might not notice such strong effects when you're in your 20s. You'll, you'll notice some. I certainly felt my health improved. But over time, especially with, with age, you realize, wow, I'm in a really different place because of these practices. You know, I, I sometimes, you know, I'm always traveling, traveling, well, before the pandemic, traveling a lot and teaching a lot. I, I love doing that. I love teaching. I love practicing and teaching. And invariably, there'll be people in some of my lectures or workshops who might be 10, 20 years younger than me. And dare I say this, they look 20 or 30 years older. And they move like they're 30 years older. You can still reverse a lot of that. I mean, my, one of my own teachers, Madam Gao, she didn't begin Taiji until she was 55. Very few people realize that. They think, oh, you know, you, you look at the perfection of her skill and you think, oh, I'll never reach that level because she must have been doing it since she was three years old. No, she, she actually very proudly told people that she began when she was 55 years old. And look at the level she reached. Extraordinary. But whenever you start, whether you, whether you start as I did at age you know, 15, or you start at age 60, or start at age 80, you're still going to find that your quality of life has improved to an extraordinary degree. And that's, that's really what we want. Will it, will it make you absolutely immune to all disease? Does it mean you'll never get sick? Does it mean your, your mysterious chief field will protect you and your loved ones from getting the coronavirus or anything else? No, come on, give me a break. It's not that. It's that you have pushed the odds more in your favor because of superb habits of self-care and because of self-awareness. And part of that self-awareness is also sensing when something is not right for you, not in, your, not in the best interests of your, your health, or sensing when perhaps an illness is just starting, and so you treat it while it's subclinical, that is before it has reached such a stage that it would appear in the doctor's exam, before you've got the high blood pressure or high cholesterol, or before the cancer, you know, in the case of breast cancer, it takes eight years from the initiation of the cancer for it to appear in a mammogram. By the time it appears, it's a little bit late in the game. I mean, luckily doctors still have ways to treat it, but wouldn't it be wonderful if through a discipline like Qigong, we could sense when something is first getting out of balance and treat it then. 
as the Yijing, the Chinese classic of change puts it, ancient Chinese book of philosophy, misfortune is long in the making. Misfortune is long in the making. So let's, let's catch the seeds of imbalanced disease, perhaps even misfortune, and treat it at the early stage when it's still easy to treat. So that's, that's one of the great, I mean, one, one of the great reasons for practicing Qigong. And as I said earlier, the fact that as you live, you find more and more that your daily watering of the energy garden has produced a wonderful harvest. And you, that harvest is richer and richer with the passing years. Beautiful. Ken, we, we've been listening to um, stories about Qigong and about its benefits. And I love, I love the garden analogy. It's perfect. I was wondering if we could talk a little bit more about not just the health aspects, but the healing aspects of it. In other words, you know, ideally, yes, we want to treat, we want to treat a problem before it becomes so difficult that it's too late. But what about what about when somebody does have an issue? In other words, like for for example, you also made, drew the comparison. I think it was in part one that uh, the that qigong is in a way like acupuncture. Now, a person typically goes into an acupuncture office when they they are feeling symptoms, when they're feeling something is wrong. So how about some someone who turns to qigong because they have a condition? So let me give you let me give you an example and then I'll perhaps try to answer your question with some hard data uh, evidence from scientific journals. But first first an anecdote. About uh, oh must have been about 20 years ago. I was teaching a class in a style of qigong that I I often teach. It was an 8 week course once a week in Hunyuan Gong, primordial qigong. It's kind of the, almost the style that defines medical qigong, that is medical applications of qigong, because it was the prized method of Hu Yaojian who coined the term medical qigong, and who was one of the first people to use qigong in Western style hospitals in China as adjunctive therapy. I'm never recommending qigong as a substitute not recommending it as a substitute for what your doctor might advise. So I'm teaching this eight week course and a woman comes over to me at the end of the class and says, would it be all right with you if I pay you for the course class by class rather than altogether? Because normally I would have a tuition for the eight weeks. I said, well, that's a little bit inconvenient with my bookkeeping, but uh, do you have a special reason why? She said, yes, uh, unfortunately, I'm not going to be alive by the last class. I said, what? Then she explained. She, she said that she had, uh, she, she had breast cancer that had metastasized into her bones, into her lymph. It was spread all through her body. And her doctor told her that she had to get her affairs in order, that she had uh, probably just a few weeks or at most a month left to live. I looked at her uh, and said, you know, uh, of course you can pay class by class, but is this really what you want to be doing? 
She said, yes, anything that's going to give me a little more quality of life and a little less pain, I, uh, that's what I want to do. I said, please, just you're welcome. Any of the classes you can attend, please just, just join us. Don't, don't, don't even worry about the money. Just come and join us as much as you like. Well, eight weeks later, she's still alive. She's still in the class, looking great. So I went over to her. I said, um, how are you doing? I said, I feel really good. Have you been back to your oncologist? No, I haven't. I'm scared to. Please, you need, you need to check on this and see, see how you're doing. Maybe there's some other medical option for you now. Please go back to your oncologist and let, let me know how you are. She'd already outlived the doctor's predictions. A few weeks later, I hadn't heard from her. A few weeks later, I get a phone call from National Public Radio that I should listen in to an episode that was upcoming in which they had interviewed this woman as well as other people in the same class. And they had, without my knowledge, produced a, a National Public Radio episode on Qigong, on the healing effects of Qigong. And as I found out only then when I listened to it, she was in complete remission. She had no sign of cancer. Now, I'm not a physician. I was not recommending her to do it as treatment for cancer. She was just practicing for well-being, for energy balance. But what a wonderful, unexpected side effect of the Qigong. She had no cancer. And I, you could say, I guess a physician would say that he or she followed her case. So I, I stayed in touch. And over the next several years that we stayed in touch, still no sign of cancer. Nor was this the exception. So I've had similar experiences with students over the years. And one more quick example, a physician, a surgeon, who was himself the client, was himself, you could say, the patient, called me up from a, uh, another city. And he said that he wanted to see me for Qigong, for personal instruction, and also for qi healing. Now, that's an aspect of Qigong where instead of learning to do exercises for your own health, the Qigong master or instructor is hopefully trained in how to transmit qi, generally from the hands, directly to the client's body. The client is fully clothed, usually lying down on a massage table, and without any physical contact, you assess the energy of the internal organs and you treat any imbalances that you sense. So this guy called me who told me that he was a medical doctor, and indeed he was, and that he had brain cancer, inoperable brain cancer. I uh, welcomed him to come out to my little town where I was living in Colorado. There's a convenient motel not far away. And I would work with him a couple hours every day for several days. I did some very specific Qigong practices with him, including one called brain cleansing. It's an actual visualization called brain cleansing. We also did the primordial Qigong that I mentioned earlier and, and some other methods. Again, I'm not claiming that I was treating cancer. I was simply helping this physician to feel better and to achieve some degree of healing energy balance. He goes back to his home. A month later, his wife sends me this beautiful 
set of pottery, uh, plates and bowls and so forth, a, a whole set of dinnerware, all handmade that she purchased somewhere with a thank you note that the cancer had shrunk to a size of a pea and was virtually gone as, a, as she and her husband believed uh, a direct effect of the Qigong he was doing. So I've had so many experiences like that with, with clients, with uh, uh, everything from asthma to uh, diabetes. One person in my class with his doctor's permission was able to get off of insulin. He had adult onset diabetes type two, not type one, which is I think difficult to treat. Uh, people with chronic pain, uh, with fibromyalgia, with uh, chronic fatigue syndrome, uh, all sorts of problems who have been helped through Qigong. Beautiful. What does science tell us? How is this possible? Well, we don't, we don't know all of the mechanisms of effect, but there's some pretty darn good research, published research in the National Library of Medicine in, in standard peer-reviewed scientific journals that suggest some of the following benefits. Let's take a, I'm just, you know, speaking, speaking spontaneously, I'm not looking at any notes here. So let's see if I hopefully cover the materials. Um, let's look at respiratory as, as one category. So Qigong, because it emphasizes what we know is the healthiest way to breathe, which is abdominal or diaphragmatic respiration, and has some very specific ways to get rid of dysfunctional habits. A lot of people breathe thoracically. They breathe with their upper chest. As a result, they also end up breathing quickly and shallowly. Well, that would result in poor oxygenation of the blood and sometimes not only cardiovascular, but also neurological effects. The, the brain is the most oxygen-hungry organ in the body. It comprises 2% of the body's weight, but requires 20% of the available oxygen. So if you've got less oxygen going to your cells, you've got all sorts of other side effects. Just the very fact that Qigong teaches us how to breathe slowly and deeply is going to have many wonderful effects on quality of life, as also being possibly significant for things like asthma, bronchitis, COPD, and all sorts of other lung-related issues. Or let's take the example of brain and neurological health, aside from the delivery of oxygen. So there seems to be a kind of brainwave signature of Qigong practice, where instead of producing the quick beta brain waves, your brain is slowing down in a sense, like, like being at a quiet sea instead of a stormy ocean. And so in that quiet sea, you've got less waves hitting the shore per given period of time. We found that Qigong tends to produce a great deal of alpha and theta activity while maintaining a high amplitude. That means you've got how many waves hit the shore per minute, but also how high is the wave? If it's a high wave in the ocean, it can knock you down. Small wave won't. A high wave has more energy. 
Well, to put it simply, when you're doing Qigong, you've got less waves hitting the shore. It's a relaxed, quiet sea. You're more mentally relaxed, but also more of the brain tissue is integrated and doing the same thing at the same time, right and left hemisphere, both stimulated, which boosts the electrical signal. So the amplitude, the height of the wave is increased. Now you combine healthy breathing with some of these brainwave effects. And it looks like from research so far that Qigong is having a very positive effect on so many neurologically related conditions. Of course, a lot of this is also because of the effect of just exercise. Uh, Qigong is often recommended for Parkinson's, for MS. Again, I've had a number of students with MS who've reported re remarkable improvements in their quality of life and in the frequency of MS symptoms and going through long periods of remission and so forth uh, for seizure disorders, for headaches, for migraines, for so many brain-related problems. And I think something of concern to all of us, it seems that Qigong helps to prevent the amyloid proteins which bond to brain cells causing neuronal de degeneration. It prevents those harmful proteins from bonding to your brain and perhaps causing dementia. In other words, Qigong can improve or help maintain cognitive ability with increasing age. That's what the evidence seems to show us. One reason, by the way, is because of uh, recent work that's been done measuring levels of BDNF, brain-derived neurotrophic factor, brain-derived neurotrophic factor. That is a brain chemical that's produced when you have the following, sensory awareness, spatial awareness, body awareness, and cognitive function, especially executive function, such as knowing where you are in the sequence of a choreography or which movement comes next or how far to step, how high to raise your hand, how, how far away from your body your arms push as you do a certain movement. You combine all those things together, spatial awareness, sensory awareness, body awareness, executive function, and what have you got? You've got Taiji. You've got Taiji and Qigong. We know that uh, with more BDNF, the brain cells seem to be preserved. Their health is preserved. There's less decline, and it seems less chance of dementia or Alzheimer's. So this is just you know the proverbial tip of the iceberg. We could go over effects on the digestive system, effects on bone health, some beautiful bone density studies that suggest effects on bone density, so you maintain bone health as you live longer, uh, effects on immune system, on musculoskeletal health in general, and so importantly and often ignored is the effect of Qigong and Taiji on joy of life. I really believe that if you're practicing correctly, you have more joie de vivre. And without that, what's the point of anything else? right? We want to have joy of life, joy in how we live, in our family, 
in our community, in the beauty of the earth. That doesn't mean a sort of, you know, attitude of all's, all's right in the world. All I have to do is make my, my affirmation and I don't need to get involved in social justice. I don't need to vote. No, I'm not saying that at all. If anything, we become more concerned with the things in our world that are causing illness, imbalance, including social imbalance. We become more concerned with these things. So those, uh, those are, you know, again, just speaking off the top of my head, what I would describe as the major benefits of Qigong that have been so well documented in the, in the literature. And by the way, you don't have to, I know we've got some physicians and healthcare professionals listening in. You don't have to go to, you know, some new age, this or that, and some flaky source of information. Some people say, oh, well, if you believe in it, it's probably not going to do you any harm. You can go and do it. No, it's not a matter of, this is good, hard scientific evidence. And if you're reading in the medical journals about the latest treatment for diabetes or for some other illness, well, why not discover what complementary therapies also have to offer? Because if you want to really be of service to your patient, you want to find out what works. We're all in the same business in a sense of relieving human suffering and being of service. So let's, let's work together. That's really the, the meaning of integrative medicine. And Ken, we could, we could talk for days about this. We're, we're nearing the end of our second uh, s session together. And I'd like to ask you to share with our listeners how they can learn Qigong from you. Sure. And again, everyone's going to have some, hopefully some local resources where you could find teachers close to where you live when it's safe again to gather in person. Uh, but you will find uh, quite a number of classes I'm now offering by Zoom. And to my surprise and delight, people are really learning. I mean, I've even got some students that have learned the whole Taiji form by Zoom. But the, the nice thing about the Zoom environment is you can see me completely. You don't have to look over the heads of other students. You can even see my foot position. And I demonstrate and teach everything very slowly, carefully, with multiple repetitions. I describe what we're doing. And so if you go to my website, just go to kennethcohen.com, K-E-N-N-E-T-H-C-O-H-E-N, kennethcohen.com. That's probably going to be the easiest domain name for you to remember. I've got a couple of domain names all go to the same place. Go to kennethcohen.com and you'll see a separate page listing for Zoom classes. There's also a link to some of my books and DVDs and other, other products. And uh, there's also a Facebook page. If you look up, if you do a search for Qigong Research Ken Cohen, Qigong spelled Q-I-G-O-N-G, not Q-U-I, but Q-I-G-O-N-G. If you look up Qigong Research or Qigong Healing Research and Ken Cohen, you'll, you'll find my Facebook page quite easily. So take a look there and you're welcome to join the classes. Hopefully before too long, I'll be teaching in-person workshops again and seminars and uh, some weekly classes. Uh, but I do offer workshops usually all, all around the country. So you're, you're welcome to come and join us. Wonderful, Ken. Thank you so much for really an outstanding two interviews on, on Qigong and these beautiful Chinese arts. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. And thanks, everybody, for listening. This has been Healing and Spirituality in World Cultures with Robert Vetter. 
Thanks for listening. Please rate, subscribe, and share with everyone you know who might benefit from these messages. Until next time, remember, be kind and loving to yourself and others. Together, we can heal ourselves and help build a better world.